about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish survive Toledo at home in what was one of the most embarrassing games I think we've played in a very long time. Welcome to the Four Horsemen Podcast. I'm Dylan, joined by Steve as always. And before we get into the disaster in South Bend, or near disaster in South Bend, uh, I'm going to pass it over for a word from our sponsor. Speaking of disasters, uh, a natural disaster that naturally occurs in the Carolinas, where I'm looking to move, is a hurricane. Uh, And uh, the reason I'm looking to move is uh, in regards to my career. And if you are looking to upgrade your career, introducing Dwindle. Uh, Dwindle is the first job board aimed at helping to solve the student loan debt crisis. Job seekers can sign up for free, they can get a free resume critique, and then they can start applying for jobs that provide them student loan repayment benefits. If you don't have student loans, that's perfectly fine. If you're just looking for an affordable education, Dwindle has your back. Dwindle also helps you connect with jobs that provide tuition assistance and tuition reimbursement. So check them out today at DwindleStudentDebt.com. That's Dwindle, D-W-I-N-D-L-E, StudentDebt.com. Let them know the four horsemen sent you. And by the way, guys, you know, we put a ton of time and effort into providing you guys with the best uh, possible content. And, you know, we're actively trying to grow our sphere of influence here in the podcast game. Uh, and that requires a ton of extra time and effort outside of our normal nine to fives. Uh, so if you support our work and want to help us grow, then you can become a monthly contributor by going to anchor.fm and becoming a supporter. There is a complex uh, URL for that, but the easiest way to find it, just go to our web, our Twitter and right there in our pin tweet, you will find the link to become a monthly contributor. 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99 are the monthly increments in which you can support your favorite Notre Dame podcast. Go Irish. Well, that's a lot more positive than the game we had to watch on Saturday on Peacock, whether you watched it legally or not. Steve, what are your thoughts on that football game? Um, all of the positivity that I had after the not great opener against Florida State, I'm, I'm becoming very negative very quickly. It's uh, it's it's. It's really starting to suck the life out of me, and 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 I thought that you know week one was kind of just a hiccup, and it's just it has not gotten better at all. And I'll tell you, Dylan, I I might have I have a finger on the panic button. I haven't pressed the panic button. I have a finger firmly pr- placed on the panic button. How about you? Well, you know what? Let's let's allow this podcast to be an opportunity for me to talk you and all the other Notre Dame fans off the ledge. Um, but before we get to that positivity, I think we need to actually just totally be down on Notre Dame. They deserve it. So we'll just get out all of our chest first before I give you a rationale, because let's all just say what everybody's been thinking. This team looks bad. They're struggling to beat teams. They should absolutely destroy Florida State away in an emotional game 
is understandable. We all gave them a pass. Um, but Toledo at home, that's not okay. No matter how good Toledo is as a MAC team, they are they should never be competing with Notre Dame. Um, we saw mistakes. I mean, the Kyron fumble, which led to the Toledo touchdown to take the lead, was one of the worst things I've watched as a Notre Dame fan. Um, it required a special drive to win this football game. It was bad. I mean, it just it was bad. There's no way around it. But we won. And that's something to remember. We're 2-0. and And something I put out on the Twitter account for the podcast is you can fix the issues on this team, and we'll get into that later, but you cannot fix a loss. So I will trade our spot with Ohio State and USC and Clemson because we can come back from this because we haven't lost yet. You know, we could fix what needs to be fixed on the field. Now, maybe we don't. I mean, maybe we just aren't that good of a team. I doubt that. Um, but it is fixable. A loss isn't. A loss is on that record. So, you know, everybody take a deep breath. Walk back off the ledge for a moment. And let's try to to discuss and dissect what happened in this game. So, Steve, I'll, I'll kind of I'll pitch it back towards you. What did you think was the problem, and why did Notre Dame struggle with Toledo? The obvious answer here uh, is that it's just the offensive line. It's the offensive line, it's the offensive line, it's the offensive line. That, and even with the the woes that the offensive line has, a lot of it is play calling, too. Play calling in regards to running into stacked boxes. We've had this conversation a million times when trying to explain the concept of EPA and and efficiency and and you know advanced analytics and statistics. Just like if there's seven guys in the box and you have six blockers and one running back, they over like you are not going to get yards. It's not going to happen. It happens if you are Bo Jackson. It like. If, but it's just it's not the same thing, man. It's it's a it's a totally different football game now than it was in the in the 90s and early 2000s. You have to adapt. You have to open up the field. You have to send guys out into the slot. So now you only have you know five and six defender boxes. Make it easier to run. And obviously the offensive line is not getting the push. And it's and it's easy to point the finger at them. They're also getting no help from the offense. And then speaking of the offense, when they finally get it cooking, the offensive play calling is just absolutely intent on establishing the run and forcing the run. And then what happens from there is, is you know, you, you're taking your foot off the pedal. You're taking your foot off the gas. You're letting the other team get the ball more. The other team is scoring more, right? It's like, it, it's, it's just this whole systemic issue. And the the play calling isn't helping the offensive line and the offensive line isn't helping the play calling. No one's helping each other, I think, is to to go in a roundabout way and, and tie it all together. I think with regard to the play calling, what's concerning to me is the fact that we've scored a touchdown on the opening drive in both games and then proceeded to not do anything offensively for several drives. And that bothers me because it's the play success comes from throwing the ball early and then there's just a tendency to stop throwing the ball early after you score. And I think Notre Dame's got to get over that. I think Notre Dame has to do actually what the Dallas Cowboys did last week. Everybody watched Thursday night football. Cowboys lost hilariously as they always do in a very typical Cowboys way. 
But if you noticed in that game, they threw the ball three times more than they ran the ball. And you, despite Zeke being on that team and all that money and wanting to establish the run, the fact of the matter is the Cowboys were unstoppable offensively when they were throwing the ball. So what do they do? They keep throwing the ball. And that's how they obviously they end up losing the game, but not because of the offense there. So what what the concern for Notre Dame is, is that once something works, they're not going back to it. And they make the game harder than it needs to be. And they let the game hang around longer than it should. Um, and so that's my concern. Uh, in terms of the offensive line, it's not just the running, which was bad against Florida State and Toledo. To me, it's the it's the pressure on the quarterback they're allowing. the The amount of sacks we've given up this year is unheard of for Notre Dame, and it's not. A lot of people are like, "Well, the offensive line stinks." Not really. Like they are playing poorly, no doubt. But those are, I those are talented football players. They're they're not the 118th best offensive line in the country. We just they're more talented than that. They are underperforming. That's what's happening. They're not playing up to their level, and even if their level's a step down than where it usually is for Notre Dame, that's still better than what they've been producing Pretty darn us. good. Should be a top 40. That's fine. Like, I will take a top 40 offensive line because, at the very least, that's what they should be. And with a top 40 offensive line, in other words, an offensive line that can, A, get a little bit of push, and, B, give your quarterback some time, this team can go really far because I think we've seen a lot of positives offensively. I mean, Jack Cohn's first game was phenomenal. Second game, numbers look rough because he didn't have time to throw the ball, right? So he's getting sacked a lot or he's missing throws. He didn't play a perfect game. But they could score when they wanted to, right? They had they got Tyree into the game. Michael Mayer was fantastic. The offense is scoring more than they usually do. The issue is they're, they could be scoring even more. And when they're not scoring more, they're allowing the other team to get into it because the defensive side of the ball has issues as well. So I don't know. Offensive line is underperforming, no doubt. They can be better. I, that's something that I, I want fans to make that distinction. It's not like this offensive line is one of the worst in college football. Talent-wise, they're they're playing that way, but talent-wise, they're way better than that. And you just need to give me something that's close to your talent level for this team to work. Because if it doesn't, it's going to be a really rough year. Um, I have faith they can fix that because there are. I mean, there's a first-round draft pick on that offensive line. They're going to get better. I think they have to. I don't know it's possible for them to get worse. But that is the big thing holding us up, in my opinion. What 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 did you think of the defense against Julio? They I mean, the defense played well, and I'm so I, it it's frustrating to me that two weeks in a row, you know, we we're getting the you know, Marcus Freeman is a failed experiment and this, that, the other. It's like we have a ton of pressure. And yes, there have been some big plays that have been given up. But and we knew that. We knew yeah, that when we hired him, we were going to give up more big plays, and there will be a growing pain of limiting those. That's not, that's not. I don't think that shouldn't be an issue. I think the issue is more how many well, we're giving this up. This is a but. pass rush line. This is not a a a stout defensive run game line. You know the the what makes us effective against the run is the linebackers being able to fill the gaps, and three of them being injured for the season doesn't help. Yeah, so it's like I mean, yeah, Kurt Heinish is like your best run, you know, against the run that it is. You know, Jacob Lacey pretty decent as well, but like those guys are like 
very good, but not great. They're they're not dominant. They can't shut a game down. They can't take it over like uh, Nemotic and Sue back in in the, the the Big Twelve championship game when he single handedly as a defensive tackle was dominating. Like he won almost won the game. So it's we don't have that, but we have Isaiah Foskey. We have you know uh, we we have great edge rushers. If you notice, every time the other team drops back, like how many times do we have tipped balls or you know. A, a sack or a hurry or something like our pass rush is phenomenal. That's the way that we are designed because we are adapting to the modern game. So yeah, you're going to give up some more running plays than not, but it's overall you're, you're seeding territory on the less efficient play model, right? That that's yeah. it's kind of the, how they're, they're, you know, the game is adapting. So, but the, in the first quarter, we gave up a field goal on the first two drives, then punt, 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 field goal, and that's that's how they ended the first ha- half on offense. What or yeah, that that's how they they ended the first half on offense was three field goals, three punts, and then they obviously had the interception return for a touchdown. Which, by the way, with that little time left in the half, if you're that far in your own territory, why are you checking down a six yard comeback to a tight end? What what are we doing here? What are you doing yep. in the what are you doing in the middle of the field? That's what happens when you throw the ball in the middle of the field. Like when they can be aggressive. Yeah. So that should be a sideline play should be a deep play. If you are trying to pass the ball with in, you know, in, to end the second half and, and make one of those, you know, the last drive of the game was three plays, 75 yards in 30 seconds. If you, you can do it, but you have to push the ball downfield. You're not going to do it under underneath. And because of that stupid play call, they, you know, it's a pick six. And then us holding them to only nine points in the first half now becomes, you know, 15, what, 16 points. And then now we're down 16, 14 at the half. And then, and then it's a whole different attitude at that point. Cause it's like, at least if we go up into the half, we kick a field goal there. We're up by like five, six points. And it's like, okay, well they're hanging around, but we can still put them away. We just got to execute in the second half. It's a totally different scenario. But so the defense played very well in the first half. They're, they could have played better down the stretch with back-to-back touchdown drives towards the end, but then you know at, at the end we closed it out with a with you know more pressure, and then it wasn't it didn't end up being a sack by Myron Te, you know Tagliavoa Amosa, but he he forced a fumble and then that effectively ends the game. The defense played well; they did their job. They came out and they forced four punts in a row to start the second half. Like wh- what are we talking? Yeah, about here? I I think. The defense can get better. I don't want to make it seem like this is the finished product here. They're giving up way too many chunk plays. But the performance did improve. That was a lot better than Florida State. I thought we were more controlled. Um, I think Freeman did a better job calling plays as well. And I've been pleasantly surprised with the secondary. I know when the big play happens, you see them getting beat. But I feel more comfortable with the secondary this year than I think I did last year. Um, Clarence Lewis has looked really sharp. Kyle Hamilton was robbed of another interception. Um, there's positives there. I think, like you said, when it comes to, you know, oh, we can still blow them out. When we've seen Notre Dame do this, and Notre Dame does this a lot, to be fair, they, they play teams close at half, and then they come out and blow them out in the third quarter. Virginia Tech, so many years ago, was the perfect example. What happens, though, is that Notre Dame will blow them out in the third quarter. You don't let the game get to the fourth quarter tied because just the way the game works, things start to slow down and time speeds up. You know what I mean? Like once you get into that 
late third quarter, next thing you know, you're in a ball game. So if you don't put them away early in that third, the fourth quarter comes around and then the pressure starts coming up and one three and out leads to, you know, another one score game. And then you're fighting at the end. You know, I can I can tolerate being tied with Toledo going in a half or being within the three points and then beating the brakes off them in the third. But that didn't happen. And it did happen at Florida State, if you recall. We blew Florida State out. That was that was points. a blowout. Notre Dame was blowing Florida State out. I had told everybody the game was over. And then they let Florida State back in. This is the opposite. This was never a blowout, and that's the problem. Because with Florida State, I knew the talent was there to blow them out, and I knew we were good enough to blow them out. And we showed that we could. And that letting the back in can be more attributed to a one-time issue, right? But with t- never getting the chance to put Toledo away is depressing. That that's that's a game getting catching up to you and get taking hold of what's going on, right? You lose control at that point when you are in the third quarter in a close game with Toledo. You need to be able to put that them away earlier. The good news is I think they can because when I boil it down, it's just the offensive line. That was the only unit I could single-handedly point to and be like this was the problem because defensively, I thought the D line played well. I thought the secondary was surprisingly good. I thought the quarterback did the best he could in the situation. And by the way, we'll talk about the other quarterback. I thought the running backs are predestined to do whatever the offensive line does. So forget about that. I thought the receivers were good again. I thought we were getting great receiver play this year from Austin. Lindsay Wilkins comes in for like two two snaps and ends up with chunk plays. Yep. Um, Avery Davis finally made his Davis mark. was great. Mayor was fantastic. Like there, even the special teams were good. I thought door, I mean, doors getting thrown into these long 60 yard field goals, but like any field goal door needs to make, he's made. So I'm happy with this team. The offensive line is a problem. And it's such an important part of the game that by struggling offensively for so long, you let Toledo in it. And that's the issue. Because if you fail to fix that, you're going to lose. If you fix that, however, I think we'll be seeing the same Notre Dame we saw last year. And that's where I want to talk all of you guys off the ledge. I don't think we're that far away. I still think we're a top five team. I think they just need to make the right fixes. And in the right circumstances, those games become blowouts. But they weren't. So until Notre Dame can prove that, we should be skeptical. But they can. And that's why I'm still fairly optimistic Obviously, like you, Steve, I've soured a lot on the prospect of this season, but we're 2-0. and We're 2-0. and I do agree wholeheartedly, and I, I think that's the diagnosis here, is uh, if, if there's any blame on the defense, it's just that the offense does not have the killer instinct. The team seemingly doesn't have a killer instinct until its back is all the way up against the wall against lesser competition. If you're going to wait for your back to be up against the wall against Alabama, you're losing by 24. I'm sorry. So they have to learn to have a sense of urgency and put these games away by halftime. Put the games away by halftime, and that way you can just chill, man. <laughs> and, and, you know, just a, a thought exercise. I did tweet this out from the main account uh, because I, I need an explanation, right? There has to be – what is the explanation here? We know, you know, coaching staff, style, scheme, recruits – you know, development, everything historically tells us that Notre Dame is offensive line university. So I think in my explanation, the only thing that I've been able to rationalize by why we have struggled so much, and I think this became abundantly apparent once we had a quarterback substitution, 
is that the offensive line, I think, is clearly designed to be a spread option offense or more so uh, maybe not a spread option, but more sort of that spread open, you know, kind of run and shoot pro style Urban Meyer sort of offense as compared to a more traditionally pro style or power run offense. Right. That that's what it feels like, at least, because as soon as as TB12 comes into the game, we can run the football. And then, it, you know, they crash down on the run. He throws, the you know, that that wheel route to uh, to Chris think, Tyree and there's the touchdown. So, like, I, what, I, I think a lot of that, I think that has to do with Tyler Buckner's dual threat ability, that it forced Toledo to adjust defensively, which opened up the run game because either the quarterback's going to run it, somebody else is going to take the handoff, or he's going to beat you for a big touchdown to Chris Tyree, by the way. So, you know, I don't want to take a so I just want to take a moment here just for a second to say our savior Tyler Buckner got his I debut love, was I phenomenal. Love him. Just like he was in the in the spring game. He went three for three, like seventy some yards and a touchdown in three passes. He ran, was it like two or three times for big plays? The kid can ball. And I don't know how he is as a pocket passer. I think we only saw one pass that was just a natural in the pocket pass. But we know for sure, as a freshman, he can pass on the run. And if you have these plays, like the Chris Tyree play, where it is a design, I'm going to run the ball, and if you come at me and release the receiver, I will throw it to the receiver. And that kind of game, whether that's bubble screens or motion play more or actual you know, options, option reads, we know Buckner can do that. And that's what he proved. He can play. I still have questions about if he can play in the pocket and if he can be a natural passer. That'll answer itself in the future. But big props to Tyler Buckner. Steve, do you think we have a quarterback controversy here, or do you think that was purely just to give them a different look? I think this is kind of some of the back and forth I was looking to have with you tonight. And and I'm glad that you bring up the question. I'm glad that we're we're kind of you know on, on the same page here with a lot of this. What do you think would be... What do you think salvages this offense, turns it around, and shows it into something that we are used to, which is a Notre Dame team that can run for 225 yards a game? What What do you think is the answer here? Option one is more efficient play calling, opening, spreading open the field, therefore allowing for the power run game to get their feet moving, get downfield, open up those holes. Or option two, do you think that it is getting a more mobile quarterback into the game because obviously we know Jack Cohn has, you know, he's, he's still a nimble guy, but he does have his limitations physically when it comes to running. So like that, that's what I can't figure because, and I, I don't want to slight Jack Cohn. I think he is phenomenal. I think he's, he's way exceeded my expectations. And I legitimately think Jack Cohn has what it takes to play on Sundays. And like, as a starter, I think he is NFL starter caliber material. I think he's getting screwed by I, and that's why I can't understand is like, is this offensive line better tailored to have that spread option? Is, is that going to, you know, keep defenders honest? Because as you could see with Cone in the game, they're just crashing down. And, and with Ian book, he could, he could boogie, he could move, he could run TB 12 comes in. He makes those two big runs. He keeps them honest. And then all of a sudden, after he keeps them honest with one big run, the next run is Kyron Williams up the sideline for 45 yards and a touchdown. So it, what, what is the answer is the answer, the play calling that needs to open up, you know, you get the pass moving, you put some points on the scoreboard, you let Jack Cone ball out, you know, 
and then as the you get a lead and then they they're back on their heels then you hit them with with the run game and then th- then then they can't stop anything or is it just at this point is it make more sense to just say hey Jack, I'm sorry you transferred here, but our offense is simply just not tailored to your style of play. I don't know. So I have an answer. I don't know if it's like it's what I think is right, but I I could be wrong. I don't know if it'll get you 250 yards rushing. It will give you a good rushing attack, though. So if I can substitute that part of your question for for that, if I could say what's the best way, an effective explosive run game. I think it's I think it's answer one. I think it's it is more to do with the play calling and the sequencing than it does the mobile quarterback. Now the mobile quarterback helps, no doubt. But the case I want to take everybody to is who's the best offense in college football history? And hint, we played them last year. Right? Alabama. Mm-hmm. The 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 twenty twenty Alabama team was the best offensive team ever assembled in college football. Is Mac Jones a mobile quarterback? Not in the slightest. Did Alabama have an explosive, effective, really good run game? Yep. Very much so. So we can do it with Cone. I have no doubt about that. Buckner may make it even more conducive. Like, imagine if Mac Jones could run. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it doesn't mean it has to be a pro-style, immobile quarterback, but it can be done with one. So I think we could. I think we could do it. And I think part of the offensive line struggles and a way to help out the offensive line is play calling. Right. If we start attacking them in the air and getting that ball out quick, viciously, um, that box starts to get pretty thin. And when you're only facing five men in the box, guess what you can start doing? Running the ball and your offensive line has a much easier job then because you're getting the ball out quick. And then that's forcing defenders out of the box. So when you run the ball, your offensive line has an advantage. I think I think that's the way I would go with it. Now, in terms of quarterback controversy. I still want, and you know, you and I, Steve, are maybe the two biggest Buckner fans in the fan base. I want Cone to be the quarterback. I love Tyler Buckner, but I want Cone to be the quarterback. It's just Buckner is the future. What I find interesting is that Buckner was skipped over Pine, and there is, I think, a schematic reason for that because he just offers a different skill set, and that's something Toledo couldn't deal with. But also, like I had hypothesized with you guys this summer, I think Drew Pine's the backup in name only. I think if Jack Cohn gets a season-ending injury today, tomorrow, God forbid, Tyler Buckner, I think, is the starting quarterback. I don't think Drew Pine fits anymore in this program. No disrespect. I just The fact that they went to Buckner, I think, is just a little bit more than just offering something different because he played really well. And the fact that people are talking about a quarterback controversy, I think, speaks volumes to the talent level of Tyler Buckner. But that said... I still want the veteran Jack Cohn because he was excellent in the Florida State game, and I thought he was good in the moments he had to be. Um, I mean, look at that game-winning drive. I mean, look. I mean, obviously, you know, the the finger, the throw, the everything. He, when Jack has his time, he's he's dominant. He's great, and he's got, you know he's throwing up balls to Kevin Austin. That fucking catch was unbelievable. You know, he's he's finding the field. He's going through his reads and his progressions. Yeah, I agree. I want Cohn. I want Cone to run this offense. I want them to spread it out, make sure that, you know, Jack Cone should have two passing touchdowns by the end of the first quarter in almost every game. Just push the ball down the field. You have the talent. And then as soon as they're on their heels and you're already up 14 to three, then when you then you can take seven minutes off the clock with a nice long drive where you're getting Kyren and the running game moving. 
And well, and then th- the next think thing, of it this way. Up, yeah. Sorry, sorry, I've just just schematically here. You know, you and I aren't the coaches here, but we know our X's and O's enough to be able to convey this. If Kevin Austin is the beast that he is, and we know he is, he's been playing like that. You're either getting him in one-on-one situations, in which case you could take advantage of that literally all day because he has the physicalness to go up there and beat you like Javon McKinley, but he's way faster and way more agile. So the option then is, well, you have kind of a safety over there. Well, then you're leaving the middle of the field for Michael Mayer, the best tight end in the country. Okay, well, you have a linebacker pick up Mayer. Okay, one, good luck <laughs> not, with that. Not going to work. We, we saw that work on the touchdown. Yeah. Two, great. You just opened up the run game. And I think Notre Dame doesn't quite realize how great the talent level is out there. You have options. And plus, that's, we're not talking about Braden Lenz or Avery Davis yet. Either force the corners into one-on-one situation, or when you have a safety, help them out. Use the middle of the field with Michael Mayer. And if he's covered, you got the run game. But the point is, you have the weapons to do this. And you can make Jack Cohn a Heisman winner. That doesn't mean Jack Cohn is the first overall pick. You can scheme and play and call plays around this offense to make them extremely potent, and we've seen signs of it. The issue is, one, we got to stay committed to it, and two, the offensive line just has to play better. You cannot be giving up like five, six sacks a game when you're playing Wisconsin or USC or Cincinnati, right? So I, I have optimism, and I hope I can convey that to you guys. But... I'm not going to lie. We got to get over the offensive mm-hmm. line because it is preventing us from reaching that blowout. And it's hurting our defense in that sense because our defense is stuck in a dogfight. Yeah. And, and to close out this argument, and it, when it ties back to the offensive line and why we gave up five, five sacks every time we were sacked, I, there, I think there was a, there was one that was a corner blitz, but all the other ones were because they did not, they, they just, they, they didn't respect the run game. They didn't. They and they knew that we were going to stay committed to, and they threw seven, eight guys in the box. You know, you throw some some gap blitzes, and all of a sudden, someone's going to get home eventually. When they when you know when Notre Dame, Notre Dame only has two or maybe three guys going out on a route play action against seven men coming at once. Like you only have tops two and a half seconds tops. And that played out in the fact that he was you know Jack Cohn was basically snapped to sack two seconds, maybe mm-hmm. one and a half. Like he was, he was called hike play action looks upfield. He's getting hit, right? There was nothing open. And that's because they were just sending the house because they, I, I you just, you have to keep them on their toes. One, mm-hmm. one side of the line is going to be on their toes, the offensive line or the defensive line. And, and the play, play action is going to dictate that play action is going to help. That, that, like, that keeps them on their toes immediately. And there is proof like data studies have been done. You do not need to set up the run for play action. You could not run the ball at all. And your play action calls should still be effective because it's mm-hmm. so ingrained in linebackers to come down and play the run. It's just, mm-hmm. it's like that at the NFL level. So why not take advantage of it? We've seen the data. We know the expected points added per play for, a, for a play action call is always high. It, 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 with, with the exception of like random sample sizes from games, play action is so effective. It needs to be used more. And that's one way to get those linebackers off your back if you're trying to help out the offensive line. And play action out of shotgun. You know, keep them honest. Make them think that you're going to run, like, run it in different situations. But I mean, we, we've harped on it enough. I think we've kind of diagnosed it and it was a good conversation. 
But man, I, I think it's uh, we're, let's just close it out with a quick statement of it's not Jack Cohn. We we do support him, uh, and and I, I think that the whole program is. I think they are going to make the next step because they're they are inherently going to be forced to, and and we can move on from there. And and Notre Dame always plays up to its opponents and plays down to its opponents. We've done that for 130 years now. <laughs> like that's just that's Notre Dame football. I'm not worried for Wisconsin because I know we'll play up to it. But the offensive line needs to fix itself. And, uh, you know, I thought this was a great conversation because we were able to get our negativity out and and rightfully criticize this team and then kind of walk back from the ledge. So, um, Steve, give me your four horsemen from the game. We don't got to spend much time on it because there's not I struggled to pick four. Yeah. Um, Kevin Austin, once again, is phenomenal. I mean, it's his body control. He's the real deal. He could go pro and probably be a third to fourth round pick uh, after this year. Um, maybe work his way up into uh, like a, a high second or I'm sorry, low second. But I think if he stays this year and next year, potential to be a first round pick like he is. He's, he's the good. real deal. So Kevin Austin, phenomenal. Um, Michael Mayer, phenomenal. Once again. J.D. Bertrand on defense, he stuck out. You know, he had, he had a sack, and he he just seemed to be making plays and just being all over the field. So th- those are my first three horsemen. And then, okay, how about how about how about how about I give you my first three? Okay, and we can do the fourth one together. Okay, so sounds like a plan. I got two of the same three. I went with Bertrand and Mare. Um, just Bertrand was all over the place. Uh, Mare, of course, on the game-winning touchdown. I went with Isaiah Foskey. Um, I thought he was there when we needed him to. He got a sack in the game, tackle for loss. I think he even got a hurry. Um, I just love Foskey. I think he is such a talented player. Um, but, Steve, I feel like we have the same fourth person here. Um, do you do want to do the honors? Three? Okay, let's do it on three. You count and then... So we're going to do one, two, three, and then give the answer. Yes. Okay. Full name. One, two, three. Tyler, Tyler. Buckner. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. I love it. This kid, I just put this out on Twitter, and I know it's only three passes, but I don't care. You know our favorite quarterback stat, Steve, QBR, quarterback rating, scaled out of 100 based on expected points added and some other weird magic formula ESPN has hidden? Well, Tyler Buckner, in Saturday's game, put together a QBR score of... 98.4, which, if it held throughout the entire season, would be the highest QBR score in the history of college football. The kid's got it, man. This is is Cone's year. Let's let's be clear. And I think Jack Cone is an NFL starter, and he should be the starter for the remainder of this year as long as he's healthy and, and performing, which... I don't think there's any indication that Cohen is going to slow down. So let's make that clear. But holy shit, when I saw those legs moving, when I saw that sl- he sling that touchdown pass up to Tyree, I was like, boing. All I could think about was 2023. Then I thought about 2024. Then I'm thinking, 
let's get crazy, possibly 2025. Then like, you know, you think about all the 2023 defensive recruits, then you you put together an offense behind them in, in 24 and 25. And then you have 26. I'm like, holy shit, we're there. This is the kid. This is the, the turning point. Like all these emotions going in my head. I, I like, you want to talk about a rock hard Hogan, that kid, that was awkward to say out loud, but damn, oh, damn it. Tyler Buckner, you are the truth, and I absolutely adore you. Let's talk about the poise of this young man, right? He's a freshman. He comes into a dogfight of a game where the crowd is dead and restless because we should be winning. And he doesn't just execute a thing. Like, he's got a little gimmick where he runs the ball. Fantastic. We'll get to that in a second. I mean, it's a fantastic skill. But how about the poise of him to throw the ball with the confidence he threw it? And that touchdown pass, my lord, what a play. Like, to see a freshman use his legs and then whip out a crazy Patrick Mahomes arm angle. That was a that, 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 was, that was like submarine almost. And he, he had one in the pocket throw, and he, he and I think he, maybe there was one that got called for pass it interference was as well. On the right-hand side. So, dart. I love what I saw from him. I mean, he's got... I mean, what do you remember my comparison for him when we were doing a recruiting show? Do you, do you recall what I what I define Tyler Buckner as? Uh, I know asking a goldfish for memory recall. Yeah, is exactly. Yeah, Steve, who's who's known for being the most memory centric person. I I think you said he was like a Kyler Murray, just like three or four feet, uh, three or four inches taller, right? Yep, that's what I see. You know who else I'm thinking of? Uh, like, so that's so Kyler Murray, by the way, fantastic quarterback. Yeah. You know, could run, could throw. I need to see more of the arm to know that comparison works. But you know who I saw on Saturday? And you're going to hate this, but love it because the player was really good. Lamar Denar- Jackson. Denard Robinson. Oh, God. Don't say that, Nick. I'm Just sorry. I, you look, I hate him. I know. I know. We all, I hate I, Lamar Jackson. I, but... I get it. We all hate Michigan. Denard Robinson has broken our hearts a few times. But... Son you will all, all of you listening will admit that Denard Robinson was an excellent quarterback. He was going to be the cover. I think he was the cover of NCAA 14, um, dual threat guy. And that, that kind of weapon with the legs is what I mean when I see, uh, Robinson and Buckner, because Robinson, not only did he have the ability to throw because Denard Robinson could throw the ball. What made Denard so unbelievably elite was his legs and the ability to change the game with it. Because once his legs are in there, you have to account for that. And if you overcompensate for it, he's going to beat you with his arm. Single and that's what I think. And that's what I think Tyler Buckner can and will do. Obviously, I think Kyler Murray is. I prefer that comp because you know, it, I mean, he's the first overall pick. But I've seen Denard Robinson in, in in the limited amount of time I've seen Tyler Buckner, and I, that's just so exciting. Because the one thing holding Notre Dame back, I think, has been the explosive offense powered by a Heisman level quarterback. Book was kind of that last year. I think Cone could be that, but Buckner's the most natural fit who could just be a Heisman candidate regardless of the scheme. And that could be what takes Notre Dame to the next level. Now, I don't want to get ahead of everybody here. We're still in the 2021 season. But man, is it hard not to put a smile on your face when you're talking about Tyler Buckner. Yeah. Oh, man. Hey, the kid just, he brings the juice. And, and we all know where the juice goes on this podcast. But I, I'm so excited for the future with TV 12, man. Agreed. So, you know what? Let's just move on. College football was a crazy week. We almost lost, but we didn't. You know who did lose? Ohio State to Oregon. Who saw that coming at the horseshoe? 
the Ducks kind of beat them. Like, not that they just won the game. They, they, they left no doubt. Team. They left no doubt. And I know the score was close. I watched, I think, a half of that game, and Oregon was way better than Ohio State. Like, they were, they were progressively impressing me throughout the game. Full credits to the Ducks there. I mean, it gives us hope because we got to go to the horseshoe next season, so it can be done. Um, those noon kickoffs, man. Um, other big losses. I mean, Iowa State got beat by Iowa. Yeah, um, very that was game. USC lost to Stanford in something we will talk about very shortly. Um, I'm, I know Texas A&M had a very close game, but they ended up beating Colorado. Uh, did we have another upset? Mm, that's an excellent question. Let me go to the top 25 real quick. I feel like that was it. Because, you know, Penn State held their own. Um, Georgia didn't lose. I don't know if Georgia played. You know when, when the SEC teams play like Mercer? And you're like, is yeah. that really a game? Arkansas lost to Texas. Did you mention that one? Oh, sorry. Texas lost to Arkansas. Yes. Yeah. The, uh, the long- yep. Yeah. So the Longhorn. That's the one. The Longhorns choked it up as uh, always. I was just a week late on my prediction there. Um, <laughs> in terms of predictions for that week. Um, I went four and one after going zero and five. I've now made this a very close game. Um, Steve, you went two and three, and P went three and two. So on the season, I'm four out of ten. You're six out of ten, and P is five out of ten. So I am making a comeback there. We'll we'll get to our picks shortly. But what I want to talk to you before we get to that is just breaking news a few hours ago here for us. Clay Helton has been fired at the USC Trojans. Um, Kind of shocking. Stanford obviously beats USC uh, this week. They beat them pretty good, too. And it seems like the embarrassment of getting blown out by Stanford kind of is what broke the camel's back. So thanks, Stanford, for ruining the joy of Clay Helton. Um, Steve, what are your thoughts on our top rival being without coach? Um, Honestly, not thrilled. Because if he's the obvious, if he's not a bad coach... If he's not a good coach, rather, that's fine. Fire him at the end of the season. The last thing I need is some sort of whack job, you know, special teams or, you know, coach or defensive coordinator getting promoted as the interim head coach and then just giving them the coach O treatment, you know, just getting these guys fired up and ready to play. Um, So that's what sucks is because I am now concerned that this team is going to get a second burst of energy and want to turn their season around by beating the shit out of Notre Dame in Notre Dame Stadium. So now, like, that, I feel like this puts the biggest target on our back because as an interim head coach, this is the first big game he's really going to play. You know, he's going to, he's going to want to mobilize the troops and they're going to want to, they're going to want to play for him as as long as they've gone undefeated with him up to that point. Also, USC's not out of the playoff. I mean, Not they, can go, they can go 11-1 and one and make the playoff if the Pac-12 has a good year. And if they have wins over Notre Dame and Oregon, that's two top 10 wins. So USC losing to Stanford actually doesn't really matter that much for them. They can still get in if they win out. And they need, it, they need to beat Notre Dame and Oregon to get in anyway. So losing to Stanford is embarrassing, but they still need to beat us regardless. So what, what I'm scared they're for is... It's the sleeping giant of USC. And as much as we obviously don't like USC on this program, I think we can all admit that USC is a Alabama waiting to happen in the sense that they have the most natural recruiting talent in the country, right? They are in Southern 
California. They're in Los Angeles. It's an attractive city. It's a fun school. It's a decent enough academic school. It is a program that is about as historic as any other program not named Notre Dame. You know, they're one of the most historic, so they got that aspect. They're in the Pac-12 where they can rule forever, kind of like Clemson in the ACC. They got the history. They've got the recruiting. All that's missing there is a head coach. So I'm terrified because USC is a sleeping giant the same way, you know, Liverpool were in England, right? They were just a good manager away from becoming dynamite again. And that's kind of how I feel about USC is I don't want to wake up that program. I want that program to be dormant and nine and three because if Pete Carroll comes back, and I obviously that's not who's going to come back, but if they, you get another version of Pete Carroll, I'm terrified of USC because there's so much natural recruiting talent that we don't have and it's so much easier for SC to get. And if SC starts getting it, which they do well, they could do better in recruiting. On top of that with a good coach, that's going to be a problem for Notre Dame and for college football. USC, to me, is the biggest sleeping giant in football right now. Um, so I'm not happy Hilton got fired. And I'm really nervous to see who they're going to hire. That's that's my honest Notre Dame opinion there. I'll let all the USC fans kind of clip that and, uh, and and post it wherever. But uh, all, all ten of them. Um, are you worried at all? Or yeah. do you think I'm being a little hysterical? No, no, I definitely echo the sentiment. Um, and I was thinking more in the short term because my, my goldfish brain can only think in, in terms of like, let's just get through the month of October, right? Uh, and, and beat them now. But then, yeah, you're absolutely correct. If they get in the uh, the appropriate coach now, if the you know the right name uh, brings some juice into the program, you know we've had a really big run of of great recruiting out of out of California recently, specifically on the field right now. Out Us of and uh, everybody, by the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. USC's uh, but, been a bit of a, a cuck program for uh, for yeah, California talent. They've been letting us rub their belly for a while now, but. <laughs> I mean, but from from Concord, California, is Isaiah Foskey. Would you rather Isaiah Foskey in Oc- this upcoming October be wearing a red helmet or a gold helmet? Right? right. It's, it's like come Tyler on, Tyler Buckner. Tyler okay. Buckner, this literally our savior, and and I don't even think he even considered USC. And if that starts coming into play, it's like, come on, man, we we can't be seeding ground after you know finally getting to this high point in recruiting. Uh, and then obviously dominating them on the field as well. So I sentiment, yeah, I echo your sentiment 100. And and yeah, you're correct. And and now it's it it becomes scary because we know it, there's so much unknown that is implied, and it's the implied success of a big name coach which is starting to become scary to realize. Yeah, and I I think that's perfectly said. And. Uh... That that uh, what else is there to say, right? It's an exciting time for Southern Cal fans. They've been wanting this for a while. We're gonna have some on the show, obviously, when we play them. Um, so you know, that's it. Let's let's go into our sponsor segment because um, you know, college football picks are our specialty. Clearly, with our fifty percent win percentage here. Um, so week one may be over, but the season's just getting started at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off week two, DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when they bet on $1 on any football game. Listen, because you don't want to miss this. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 
on any week two game to receive $200 in free bets instantly. If Sportsbook is not yet available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code HORSEMAN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code HORSEMAN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Steve, that was a mouthful. It was thankful for our partners and uh, make sure to go grab that. It's a great deal. Absolutely. And just to give everyone a heads up, you know, I hit my first ever parlay using DraftKings, uh, not this past week, two weeks ago. It was the most thrilling thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. I bet 10 bucks. I won a hundred. I got free dinner, sushi, me and the woman that night. So uh, everyone has an opportunity for free dinner when they go to DraftKings. Well, let's get into the picks then because we can use the odds by DraftKings to help you guys uh, set yourself up for this week. So hopefully you'd never listen to us too much because we are clowns. But uh, Steve, do you want to tell us our first game prediction of the week and the odds? Yeah, absolutely. We have Michigan State at Miami. I believe Miami is ranked number 24 in the country. That is correct. This is a noon game on ABC. Uh, and this has Miami opening at home as Six and a half point favorites, and the line there, uh, they are minus 250. Steve, can I tell you a secret? What's that? Michigan State's going to win this game. Absolutely. They are going to beat the living shit out of them. Mich- Michigan State has actually looked kind of good this year. They are. And Miami, Miami hasn't. Miami almost lost at home, I believe, to Appalachian State. And if it wasn't at home, who cares? You shouldn't be losing to Appalachian State. I think Michigan State's going to beat them. And a six, point, six and a half point favorites, I am taking the dog to cover there even if they don't win they should cover six and a half um i like sparty are you in agreement there as well yes i am i'm i'm totally on board michigan state is going to win this game because they've been able to air it out they've been able to move the ball but they're also they have that hard nose to them you know being from the north being from the big 10 that you know miami is just not going to be able to compete in the trenches my opinion all right well we got another early kickoff um, Minnesota's playing Colorado. Do you have the odds for that one? We do. Rado is at home, and they are a one-and-a-half-point favorite, which you do not see very often in college football. Uh, so that means it's effectively a toss-up. Colorado uh, in the money line is minus 125. So could go either way. Dylan, what do you think? I'm taking Colorado at home here. Um, they put up a really good performance against AM. And Minnesota did against Ohio State in Week 1, too. I don't want to take anything away from the Golden Gophers, which is, I think, one of my soft favorite teams in college football when I'm not sharing for Notre Dame. But I like Colorado here. I think they're a really solid team. In our Four Horsemen Top 25, I've been giving them votes since preseason. I really think they're they're worth putting some money on. Um, and that's decent odds. You were saying minus 115 money line. So um, as far as my prediction, I will take Colorado, and I'll let you guys decide if you want to bet on it. 
Yeah, I'm I'm really caught up with this pick because you know the heart is saying that Minnesota has their backs up against the wall, and if they're going to compete for the Big Ten championship game. Uh, and, and for the division that they have to turn it around and start winning quick. Um, but the brain just says that Colorado is at home. They have been playing some good football. Um, so I think I'm going to follow the brain this time. I'm going with Rado. Well, that's good. We're in agreement here. Um, third game, pretty big game. I'm surprised college game day is not going there. Unless they are, and I'm unaware of it. <laughs> um, the Crimson Tide are facing the Florida Gators at the Swamp. That is a afternoon kickoff. Um, do you have the odds for us, Steve? Yep. Uh, so Bama is opening up as 14.5-point favorites, and Moneyline has them pretty good uh, odds to win the game, but you know, pretty low odds uh, to win a bet uh, at, at minus 525. So not much value there for Bama on the mind. Um yeah, what what do you think in terms of uh, you know gambling wise, and then also what what's your pick? So gambling wise, I'm probably not touching this. I I would lean Florida State to cover 14, but with Alabama being so Alabama, I just don't want to put any money on this game. I'm gonna take Alabama to win outright for for our game prediction, but uh, that's one I'm staying away from. Okay, I just think that Florida's defense is gonna prove that they are not gonna compete quite yet with uh with alabama i think that florida is probably two years away from being in serious contention in the sec east and the sec in general so i while they i think florida is a top 15 team in the nation i just don't think that they're going to even stand a chance to cover here so i would ride with bama as the favorites in in betting and odds and everything interesting that could be an upset home underdogs man but you know we'll see um next Interesting matchup. We got a ranked matchup here between two teams we don't usually see play. Auburn is going to Penn State. That's a fun matchup. That that's those are two pretty classic programs that are. I mean, Penn State. I think you could call a blue blood, even though fuck them for obvious reasons. Auburn, you know, they've they've had some decent history. Uh, so they're they're there's some two two good his, historic programs. Now, uh, Penn State at home is opening up at six and a half point favorites. And uh, and on the money line, they are minus 110. So that money line does they're, – they're basically predicting this is going to be a one-score game uh, and that it's it's pretty tight either way. Uh, what do you think? Man, it's a tough one because I don't think we know what we have in either team yet. Penn State is coming off a bad season but have played really well so far. Auburn is probably the enigma of college football. It seems like every year we don't know if they're going to be 11-1 and or 7-5. and um, I'm going to take Penn State at home here. I think just having Happy Valley back you up and with the confidence I think they're playing with after beating Wisconsin, I like the uh, Nittany Lions here. Um, I'm joining you again, begrudgingly, because I, I feel like at a certain point I have to fade you on something just to get some sort of competitive advantage. But uh, I, well, I think what this comes down to for me is I don't trust Bo Nix on the road in Happy Valley with 110,000 fans. So I'm going to ride with Penn State. But Excellent. I would see some value in an Auburn cover of plus six and a half. Yeah, I, I was thinking that as well. Um, so we'll go to our last game. We got Arizona State at BYU, a Pac-12 ranked matchup. Um, I'm going to let you tell me the odds, and then you pick first because um, I'm interested to see what you have to say. Okay. 
Interesting. Uh, so BYU is uh, opening up at minus 13 and a half favorites. So um, you know, almost basically call it two scores. And, uh, and and on the money line, they are minus 110. So, really? Yeah, that that's what I could find. I mean, it's it's early in the week, so handicappers, you know, that that those odds may change over the course of the week or so. That's just what I was able to find for now. Uh, and I'm gonna take the boring and safe pick here. I'm I'm just gonna go with BYU again, begrudgingly. And so I've got Arizona State on my bookie as the favored, as the three and a half point favorites. Huh. Because when you said that, that didn't, that didn't, to me, this is a three point game either way, like a, like a line, not like prediction. Just, I think the line would be, would be pretty close. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, maybe I, uh, I typed it in wrong before, so I apologize. Oh, no worries. No worries. Um, sorry to cut you off there. I just, I just wanted to get that out. So who are you taking? Uh, I, well, now that, it, huh? Yeah. I think I'm still going to ride with BIU. Um, and you know, late game 10, 15 on ESPN. So this is going to be a fun one for, uh, for, for gamblers to get into. Uh, I, I think that BYU is going to bring enough juice this year that they are going to be in playoff contention. I, I see them as an 11 and one football team, uh, maybe even 12 and Oh, but, I, but on the outside looking in, uh, but yeah, I, I think BYU's I don't, I'm overthinking it, but I'm, I'm going to ride with the Cougs. How about you? Well, our listeners should be betting the opposite of what we said because we are in agreement for all five, which <laughs> historically is a bad sign. Um, BYU helped me last week. I was the only one on the show to take BYU to beat Utah, and they did because they were a home underdog. It depends on the bookie, but I have BYU currently as a home underdog because, again, in Canada we have access to different types of things. Um, so I'm taking BYU. I think they're at home. I really think Arizona State could absolutely destroy them, but I like BYU at home. There's something about BYU lately uh, in playing at home. So we're in agreement. That's that's interesting. Um, do you have any kind of general thoughts on the state of college football as we head into week three? It's going to feel like that year. What, it, I think that was the Pat White-Steve Slayton year at West Virginia when they got all the way up to number two. What was that, 2004? Uh, that also might have been the Crabtree years. Like there was that one year of college football, early 2000s. That's when the Texas Tech and Crabtree got all the way up to like number one or number two at one point. That's when uh, I think that's also the same year that that West Virginia made it all the way up to number two before uh, before a broken finger by their quarterback Pat White led to USF beating them. And it just felt like every single week the top five shifted with new teams. And I think. I think that you know Alabama is probably going to win out at twelve and zero, high likelihood. But this just feels like one of those freak years where teams two through ten are going to be cycling around rapidly. Like I, it's going to be an almost unrecognizable top ten from week to week as we get in uh, just a few more weeks in here and, and we hit conference play because it just feels like anyone can lose or win at really any time. And maybe this is a side effect of COVID and, and these teams still kind of adjusting, you know, think about, you know, the guys that would be getting on the field now this year lost a lot of valuable time in regards to their development. 
right? And that that could be a gap that's inherently closing between some of those those lesser programs and some of the bigger programs. I don't know what the answer is. It just feels weird. It just feels like there's going to be a ton of upsets this year. So um, good <laughs> good value year in terms of against the spread with uh, with with underdogs, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what to, to make of it just yet, but it's it seems like there's some something in the air. How about you? Well, I think you kind of hit the, the nail on the head there. It's really hard to say. We're seeing an interesting swing um, of, of, of games early on. It looked like USC was going to be really good, and they kind of botched. Notre Dame hasn't looked really great. Ohio State loses. Um, it, it's an interesting year, and with Clemson already with a loss, it's going to make the playoff committee selection really interesting. Um, but you know, let's talk about a rival that I don't think and, any of us really consider. And really a rival. quickly, that Clemson loss is going to look even worse when Georgia ends up ten and two. That's yeah, that's true. So Purdue is a team that apparently plays in the state of Indiana, and uh, because of that, there's a rivalry with Notre Dame. They don't like us, I don't think, and I don't think uh, half of us know about them. Um, obviously, I'm kidding. Uh, Purdue and Notre Dame have played many, many times over the years um, in state rival. It is a game that's been on the chopping block ever since Notre Dame went to the ACC. All the Big Ten rivals, Michigan, Michigan State, Purdue, um, have seen time on and off. That's just kind of the way it is. Uh, Michigan State comes back on the schedule soon. Uh, and, and that's just the way it's going to be as long as we have five ACC games to play. Um, so Purdue is back. They always give Notre Dame a tough, tough game. I mean, they never beat us, but they always give us a tough, tough game. They're 2-0 this season. They look pretty good so far. Uh, however, they went 2-4 and last season. Um, I know they have a a well-regarded, I think, offensive system there at, uh, at Purdue. And they're led by Jack Plummer, a junior quarterback. He's got three years' worth of experience. Um, obviously, he hasn't started in all three years, but there is a, a more veteran-savvy quarterback there. Um, this game's going to be played at Notre Dame Stadium. Steve, do you have any kind of thoughts on Purdue? I know you probably haven't seen them since the last time we played them. Um, any any kind of gut feeling uh, or any kind of special knowledge you have? Yeah. Um, well, it looks like just from uh, from being on their ESPN page, they're running back. Uh, Horvath broke his leg. He's a fifth-year senior, so he's going to miss four to eight weeks. Uh, I mean, they are only averaging 137 yards a game right now rushing the ball. Uh, so they're going to be pass heavy and under normal circumstances, I would say, you know, I would be excited by the fact that they only have a average 137 yards a game. Cause I think you basically cut that in half against Notre Dame. Um, but I'm concerned about that 344 yards passing. And I, I think that it shows that they are absolutely willing to just open up the field and, and try to push it. And and that's what I think of when I think Boilermaker football. If you go back to like kind of you know Drew Brees and and some of those early teams, you know I think you know Jimmy Clausen playing that incredible game against uh, Purdue. I believe it was his sophomore year. He had he led an incredible comeback. So um, yeah, man. I mean, it's from what I'm seeing. I mean, I think they're going to be frisky, and I just I'm not confident in Notre Dame right now to just bury an opponent that they should absolutely win again so i don't know um it's i'm starting to get concerned like i said i'm a finger is hovering over the panic button and i i think that purdue is going to be a lot better than people think yep 
Yep, 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 yep. I think they can expose the defense. I think they can make our lives miserable. I think they always have. I mean, I can think of many games where Purdue and Notre Dame have come down to the wire. I'm not thrilled about this. I don't. They're better than Toledo, I think. Maybe I'm wrong, but my inclination there is if we struggle with Toledo and we're about to play a historically tough team against Notre Dame, I'm worried, Um, like you are. I think I trust the coaching staff to figure things out a little bit, improvements. I don't think they're going to come in and blow the doors off. They could. But I don't think that's the case. We saw an improvement from the defense week two, to, week one to week two. I think we'll see an offensive line improvement. I, I'm not going to say the offensive line is going to be what it needs to be right away. But the offensive line, I think, it will play better. There will be another week of gelling, another week of scheming and of planning. But I am nervous. I am nervous for this game. And I think we're rightfully nervous. I think Notre Dame has made us nervous for a reason. Um, but... I don't think we lose. I echo the sentiment. And honestly, I think the only reason we don't lose this game is because we are at home. You know, yep. two thir- 2.30 p.m. on NBC just as a programming. We, you know, we're back to normal. Um, when we switch from 3.30 to 2.30, I don't know. Me and Dylan were speculating, but you know, we're not going to get into that right now. Just focusing on the game. I don't know, Dil. Uh, I I think yeah, everything you said makes a lot of sense. I I think you know you and I once again, per usual, are, have uh, our minds in pretty much the same spot, and that's why I wanted to take over here and ask you to give your game prediction first because this is again totally off the cuff, not pre predetermined or pre rehearsed. What's the score of this football game? Because if you think what I'm thinking right now, I'm, I, I'm going to melt down. All right, I, I wrote this down. I have Notre Dame winning. 27-21. Oh, my God. No, don't tell me. 20 uh, <laughs> Steve, this is... I swear to the listeners, we do not plan this. We yep. we, we learn this the second you, you learn it. I, wow. I told myself, I said, that Notre Dame defense is going to give up two touchdowns, two field goals, and we're going to win. And then, you know, the only reason that it's not going to be 27-23 to 23, um, is because... Purdue is going to be down and they're going to have to score a touchdown or lose. Right. And, and that's, that's my prediction. So, and that's why I'm, I'm saying 27, 20, but damn, man, I, again, I, it, I see this as a game where even though we're only scoring 27 in, in our predictions, I don't think the offense has played bad. I think this is just, it's going to be a situational thing again, where the game's tight and the clock starts ticking. And next thing you know, you're in a dog fight. Um, I expect Despite a lower score, I expect to see better from the offensive line. But I think I think Purdue's going to move the ball, and I think the defense is going to have a rougher game, and I think people are going to overreact to it. But I see Purdue scoring on us, and I uh, I have it I have Notre Dame going winning by six, which means Purdue's going to have a chance to win that ball game at the end. Of, so I, interesting, we we see it the same. We predict the scores nearly identical. Um, I, I think that's that's it for me. Do you have anything kind of you want to wrap up with before we uh, before we go? Yeah, I, I tried looking up the odds on it on uh, on DraftKings. Unfortunately, they, they're not up quite yet. Uh, but what I can see, um, let's see, uh, what what I can see right now on on ESPN is is they do have Notre Dame as you know minus seven favorites, uh, money line minus two eighty. So 
there's a lot of value in that in that Purdue team right now in terms of gambling, and and that's what scares me. That's yeah. that scares me. So I we we should have come into this game as eleven and a half point favorites minimum, and the fact that it's only you know seven point favorites, not ideal. But it's I mean this is a call to action. You know the offense, the coaching staff, the line, the play calling. It's all they got to make that step. They have to adapt in real time and they have the tools. They have the weapons. They just have to have the mentality to do it. And and if they do, I think we win this game by three touchdowns. I just right now I'm, 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 I'm have shaky confidence and I'm falling back into that negative hole that you pulled me out of to begin with. Although when we do this last year and in other years, when we predict a Notre Dame blowout it seems to be when they play tight. And when we pick Notre Dame to play tight, they then get the blowout. Mm-hmm. I would love it. Look, college football is so weak to week, especially Notre Dame, right? It's your emotions and your feeling of the program changes. If Notre Dame goes out there and spanks Purdue, all of us are back on the college football playoff train immediately, just like that. If this is a tight game, it's going to manifest itself it's more, uh, manifest itself more, and we'll start to feel even more negative. So there's a chance just to create a narrative, I think, for Notre Dame among the fans, amongst the program, to go out there and just beat them. Just go out and beat Purdue, remind them who's in charge of this rivalry, <laughs> and, uh, and and put it away. I don't think that's going to happen, unfortunately. Uh, but if you do that, things will change, and, uh, and we'll see ourselves back up into the poll. Speaking of polls, take a look out for the Four Horsemen podcast top 25. We're doing that every week on Twitter. Uh, we vote on it and we put it together. Also, listener support, as Steve said earlier in the show, you can find it actually in the description link below of this podcast episode. And you can also find it on our pin tweet. If you can like and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate that. And uh, I think that's it. You know, we love, we love our listeners. Hopefully you guys are enjoying the season so far and enjoying us panic. Um, but you know, that's it for me. That's Notre Dame football. We, we live through it all the time. Steve. Um, I'll close it out by saying that the next time you hear this ugly nasally voice, I will be a married man. I'll be married this upcoming Saturday. And, uh, it just as a programming alert, I will not be available for the next podcast to cover Purdue, but I'll give you guys a little heads up. Now we won. (laughs) <laughs> well done. Well, congrats to Steve. Um, big, big day in his life. So happy for you, buddy. Um, and try not to uh, stress too much on your wedding day because Notre Dame is playing. I already have the iPad charged up and ready to go. So we're not missing it. <laughs> to be. All right. Well, that's it from the Four Horsemen podcast. Go Irish. Go Irish.